welcome to this special episode of the Software People Stories. As you know, we recently launched a book called A Practitioner's Guide to Enterprise Agility, and I was a co-author. During the launch, I had the opportunity to conduct a panel discussion with three eminent people from the IT industry. Through the conversation, we covered a lot of topics related to enterprise agility, and they shared their experience from the practitioner's point of view. Listen on. When I was told that the authors have to speak, I said, nowadays I don't speak much, particularly after you know, this podcast that I've been having for a while, I just ask questions. So I said, we'll have a panel discussion, let the experts talk. First is uh, Mr. Ram Kumar, who's the CTO of uh, this organization called Cash-Free Payments. They are a fintech startup, even though they've been around for a while, still qualified to be a startup, racing to be a unicorn. And uh, of course, before that, he has been associated with various organizations, scaled their uh, engineering teams. Okay. Yeah, the second person uh, on our panel is uh, Ms. Vantana Malaya. She has also been in the industry for a long time, starting as an independent individual contributor to becoming an entrepreneur, running a large organization, and then being part of a large organization. And the last few years, she has been getting an outside-in view of organizations, you know, being a coach and a consultant, bringing in transformation at the leadership level. The third person is uh, Sir Gopalan, who is the managing director of a company called Global Automation. Uh, before we start, uh, since Ram said he wants to say something, we'll say if any of the guests have something to say. Yeah, first of all, I wanted to congratulate the PM Power team, uh, Paramu, JV, and uh, Shiv Guru. And uh, particularly, right, like I think uh, they also do the mindfulness session. So from outwards, we are looking inward. And the relationship that I see is after our normally physics, chemistry books in like 12th standard, Everything else we look outwards for books, especially in say if it comes to management and leadership. So I think now we need books like this, we need uh, authors like this, where we can tap into so much of wealth of information that we have in uh, here, right, inward in uh, India. So congratulations and keep going. I hear that the another book is also coming. And I'm sure more on these would uh, come. I think we, as a country, we are getting our mojo back. Uh, much more confident uh, in so many aspects. We belong at the uh, highest levels in every aspect, including um, enterprise, including enterprise agility, and um, leadership and everything. So yeah, I wanted to thank uh, the authors for that, to be able to get into the experiences that we have over, over, of 1,000 years and 300 years, etc. Yeah, so thank you, thank you. Uh, so we'll start with this. Uh, because we are not talking about you know, agile and individual projects and what they do and so on. Since we are talking about enterprise agility, just to understand what is enterprise agility to you, and particularly in the context of your organization. Um, so I'm going to kind of stick to my outside-in view of uh, seeing what organizations are going through. Uh, I think today's uh, world that most enterprises exist in uh, is a very, very dynamic world where things are changing fast, business models are changing fast. I mean, I think the most common examples that we all come across is 
Netflix, Airbnb, or uh, Uber, what they did to the industries before them. So things are changing very dynamically. And for any enterprise to be able to survive uh, and grow in such an environment, the agility becomes very, very critical. So to me, that is enterprise agility, where they are able to survive in a dynamic market uh, and still grow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just add to the survival part of it. Uh, not much in terms of volume growth, but like he said, our approach has been in our company just to have fun. At the same time, for, for us, fun is to be able to do things that are coming out new in technology, learn that and apply that and hopefully mm -hmm. get some customer who will pay for what we do. And for me, I think agility is being able to react quickly, adapt things very fast and also perform what you do in a way that is to the mark. You know, things have changed from in the last 40 years or so of working. How how things are being delivered, how people take things is all completely different. I don't think Swiggy was something that you would have imagined some years ago. So everything about life changes and as a company you need to be able to adapt to all those changes and be alive. And that that's actually what I think is agility and as an enterprise you need to be that. You know, many times when, when I sit and listen to these guys about some of these companies where some portions are very agile and they are actually trying to do a lot of things but there are others who impede the performance of these things so to be an enterprise that is agile everyone needs to participate and everyone needs to be part of the whole journey so that's what i would say is enterprise agility so thanks um, yeah, I think they covered the need part. I think uh, enterprise agility is a must-have in uh, today's situation. And uh, being in the fintech space and a startup, we see it every day. Right? We released a very nice feature which we were extremely proud of. And then one week later, competitor has released the same thing. Right? So yesterday I had to post it to the team saying, right, like within just one week, they have been able to release it. So it's really for even for survival thing, but it can be converted into a differentiator, right? Um, so the need is there, but it's extremely hard, right? Just like uh, we need to go to the gym, um, but it's a bit hard to keep keep us fit, right? So maybe some parallels between enterprise agility and uh, personal uh, fitness as well. And uh, it was a good. Um, for some reason, right? We all do these things, but I first time I maybe heard that two terms together, enterprise uh, agility. I've heard a lot about agility. We know that the company needs to be agile, but I think that thing that I was thinking, what else is similar to this? Then I, uh, so thanks for those terms also makes us think more. And I found a lot of parallels with um, macroeconomics, right? So an enterprise and a country are only different in uh, order of magnitude. Right? So we need uh, efficiency. Right, the economy also needs efficiency, enterprise also needs efficiency. But that efficiency or speed should not, right, I give the example of a car going very fast without brakes. But we need stability also. Stability in enterprise may need that. How, how, when can we promise a particular product to a customer who may be building on top of that? Right? So we need the uh, stability in, along with the efficiency. We need growth also, right, again, similar to macroeconomics. 
and then we want this whole thing to be sustainable right and sustainability it comes in sort of various forms so i thought there are a lot of parallels and the complexity is same there's a lot of research done in economics over uh, years mm -hmm. and a lot of the solutions that they have can be brought into enterprise uh, agility uh, also we'll maybe discuss some of those aspects um, as we go uh, today but it's sort of extremely uh, extremely important and it's very hard to pull out and i think those who can succeed there i think will eventually have great success so a couple of themes that kind of came from all of you is about this uncertainty, the changes, and things that probably did not exist, and so on. When some of us started our careers, we used to you know, rely on these specifications. In fact, we used to say that uh, you know, uh, writing software from specifications is like walking on water. It's much easier when it is frozen, right? But then nowadays, you can't really freeze the requirements. So particularly in a fintech space, when you said that in a few days you had a competitor launching something, how do you understand what the outcomes the customers are expecting, not just the features? What do they want to do with that? Um, yeah, this, this is also another uh, difficult thing. right? And um, in, a, in a B2B space, right, the number of customers, right, even if we have uh, hundreds, thousands, uh, maybe tens of thousands of customers, it's not as much as a B2C. So the complexity a little bit increases in the B2B, but there are advantages in a B2B also, right? You can go uh, talk to the people uh, with the bigger customers, etc. But typically what happens, ex especially in a startup, a growing startup, is a lot of it is ad hoc, right? Like someone hears something, especially the bad news. Right, something goes wrong, the customer calls up a salesperson, uh, customer support, gives a earful uh, to them, and that sort of gets passed on to different, different teams, all sort of verbally. So there are challenges there on how do we channel um, all of this. Um, but it's extremely important, right? So unless the customers are um, satisfied, they will move to a competitor. I think uh, someone was saying that just one or two bad experiences is enough to go to uh, competition. Right? And in our space, I was telling um, um, folks that I was talking to, there are at least 35 uh, similar companies working on this, right? at least 35. So that much of competition is there. So, which is good, right? Competition breeds innovation. If we uh, and like even the government is trying to say that in the B2C space where only Google and PhonePay is having a thing. They want more players. So um, competition is good, but we have to do a lot. So we have done a few things where how do we channelize all of this, right? Even, even though we are a startup, we are young, we've built some platforms to capture the voice of the customer. We have a Merchant 360 portal where all this feedback that they give is put into that database. At least let us record it. And then we will analyze it. And then when we go meet the customer, we've started that also. It's a quarterly business review, right? Typically, this quarter business review comes at a much, much larger stage after maybe uh, they become a Decacon, they have big customers, they do that. But we want to do that. And some of our, I think, Swiggy and Flipkart, we've heard that some of the CEOs and CTOs go deliver packages and then get that feedback. And we also put some of our engineers on these on-calls to directly hear uh, feedback from the customers. So it becomes a little bit easier to sell, sell them tomorrow that how important it is not to sort of have a downtime, 
how important is to sort of release a good quality feature is connecting the teams at various how much ever we can connect them to the customers less work we have to do to convince them as to how important uh, this is yeah i think another change that is happening is that you know in the good old days of uh, specification and following now i think there is really no uh, distance between the end user and you even even if you are building a b2b product there is a lot of expectation just based on some knowledge for example everyone now thinks everything can be ai enabled and every product can do a lot more than a human can do so you just and it's, it's very difficult to even understand what the expectation is so your ability to be able to throw something back quickly and be ready to change it as soon as you find out what really uh, is the trend in which the requirements are growing is becoming very critical so the old methods of waterfall is almost out and even if you don't say you are an agile you know you are practicing agile you just need to deliver in that manner is what what i feel is nowadays uh completely different uh, perspective from this uh, i think uh, today it's become very critical that the engineers who work uh, on the product uh, development uh, testing or design or whatever be the space i think they are very well versed with the business which was not an ask when we were developing i mean i think for us it was sufficient if we knew just the functionality that we were going to develop never had the big picture of what we were developing mm -hmm. i think today because the knowledge is uh, so omnipresent it becomes essential that all the engineers are aware of the business that they are addressing and they are then able to uh, either through the knowledge of competition or be themselves able to come back with the innovation uh, and suggest what next feature could be given so that uh, uh, that that you can put forth so like uh, parmu said to the customer and then make it a pull rather than a push for the customer uh, and be ahead of uh, others in providing the feature so that leveraging the uh, team's knowledge rather than just depending on uh, the requirements gathering person or the interface with the client i think is essential yeah that's very interesting um so in this situation if every individual starts running in a different direction because ultimately software development is a team sport so what have you seen as practices or any patterns of leaders who understand that you have a vision who think a little ahead conveying to the team or helping them connect to the larger goal of the organization i think uh, all of us would have heard of uh, okrs right so i think that's the flavor of, um, right now and um, it's pretty good right like uh, compared to the earlier three letter acronyms i think okrs are working really well and um, we use that to convey our okrs and then we cascade that down to every team and uh, even to an individual right their individual development plan is also tied to the okrs right how are you doing on csat right how are you helping bring down the bugs per million transactions etc and okrs alone some at some places we've started with that and then we set it at the beginning of the quarter and then we look at it again at the next quarter to say we didn't meet all of these but next quarter is going to be bright and let's do that 
So now, so sort of to tighten that for better support and monitoring, we do sort of weekly business reviews, right? So these are not weekly, just project reviews. What is the status of this project, or uh, right? Why is it delayed, etc. Right? That the teams are doing in daily stand-ups and all. But we want to do weekly business reviews, and any directors and above are looking at the business numbers, right? Long time back, it would have been between say sales and finance and all that. And product and engineering is behind. Just we'll develop the feature and not connecting to the business outcomes. So now we do weekly business reviews and they hear from the sales as to what challenges they have, what are the opportunities that they uh, see. And um, another way that we connect one experiment again we are doing is so for the team to journal about how they are being able to achieve the OKRs, how are they doing, um, like, and then there are other metrics that the industry standard metrics that they look at, and we call that high performance reviews. And uh, recently, I also saw another thing saying journaling is great for leaders also, right? It helps you sort of write down your thoughts, and so that um, it's there on a piece of paper to analyze. And the thing I was able to connect as to that value add to the teams. It's a HPR review is a, a journal that the team puts together. And then they see it over sprint over sprint. And uh, this is one way that we were able to, able to cascade the objectives to WBRs, to their individual um, uh, performance plans, as well as to the team HPRs. Multiple layers of repetition. Repetition is always uh, good. And that way, I think they, they are able to uh, remember the OKRs. What are we here to achieve? Connect to that, find solutions. Again, right? Like I might say that we are, we are doing all of this, a lot of work to be done, but I think we are headed in the uh, right direction and we are seeing some uh, benefits out of that. I was going to say that maybe we are a bit of a contrast because that's one of the reasons I think we have remained in the same level. It's basically some amount of leadership is instilled in everybody and there is a, a small focus groups and we don't have that hectic uh, release schedule and not 35 people in the same sector and those kind of things. I think we have enjoyed some things, but still what we do is we try to immerse people into any domain that they're getting into to a level that they understand. And even if the leader says, if they are not into it, they don't appreciate what is being told and they just run all over the place. So, so the collection of ideas is one thing that we can get from anywhere, but the decision is, you know, there's a leader who decides and says, okay, we are going to pick these things and do it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, kind of agree with you that leader's role in making sure that there is uh, clarity of purpose with all the team members, I think is very critical. And perhaps that needs to be repeated because uh, uh, over time people forget what they had heard and so kind of bring that clarity. And then alignment of their roles and responsibilities with this. So the, are they clear of you know, if we are building uh, a Taj Mahal, what is their role in building that Taj Mahal? Uh, and uh, do they understand it very clearly? And they know how that progress they make on a day-to-day -day basis makes the whole structure. So this, I think, uh, like many people achieve it through stand-up meetings and things like that. But uh, uh, is it being done with that rigor? And is that communication uh, from the leadership happening frequently enough? Also making sure that they are skilled enough to be able to do that uh, as they go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, if you take that example of building a Taj Mahal, yeah. 
there are probably different teams that came to build the Taj Mahal over time. Whoever was involved in the first phase was probably not there when the next phase was happening and so on. Uh, like what you said, Gopal, yes, uh, ideas can come from anywhere. There is somebody that is kind of you know putting it all together. There is something you know that is needed. And uh, in uh, your case, Ram, when uh, the industry itself is so dynamic and the company is also growing, uh, I've seen two different models of organizing teams and organizing work. One is that based on the work requirements, based on the demand, you configure teams. Suddenly, you know, people come together. The other is you have stable teams, now, like the cell-based working even in manufacturing, where the team is stable. And depending on the work, it may go to one team or many teams or you choose that. What have you seen or what have you used or do you think there are pros and cons for these? Um, yeah, so I think uh, the stable teams, I, I would maybe draw an analogy to a mutual fund. We don't want a mutual fund manager to keep the stable allocation across the board, whether a stock goes up or a stock goes down. Uh, product uh, uh, bouquet of products and uh, stocks is some, somewhat similar, right? They, so the requirement for a particular product, may, the demand might increase, more features may be needed. Tomorrow, some other thing might be thing. So I think a stable team in a dynamic environment um, will not be the best uh, option, right? In a very, very stable environment, I think stable teams might work. In our, in our case, for example, right? Like if we have a stable team, we know that uh, time fills work, and then work fills the team, right? So if there is a stable team and a product manager, they might have achieved 100% uh, product market fit, they would have been the leader, but still, in order for them to grow, they're going to look at, okay, what more can I release, even though that delta ROI may not be there, and how do I grow my team? So we didn't want to be in that space where people think that a larger team that they have is the only way to grow, but instead a larger business outcome that you can deliver. Hence we are telling people that if you can build a new product, then you pitch that idea and get some folks. Right? So I think a dynamic team really, really works well for us. And the challenge there is people may complain there are too many reorgs, right? Um, matter of fact, in the last one and a half years, we've done reorgs uh, every quarter, aligning the teams with the quarterly plan. But we've been able to convince them that the team will also learn more. They learn different products, different technologies. And the other challenge is, like in manufacturing, we might say there's a setup cost, right? I set up this uh, pipeline, someone, I think, uh, was saying that, they had worked in monogistics, I2 and all, then I remembered that there is a setup cost to set up a pipeline. And then you can't keep changing that. Right? Once you start that, you have to produce 1,000 um, items there. Similar to a product team, there's a lot of knowledge within the team that it takes, it makes it very hard for people to move. So then we've started working on that. Right? Like how do we make sure that a team member going into a team can very quickly in two to three days at least set up the environment and contribute? And so those initiatives had started. And recently, um, last month, we even tried one experiment. We had released some 12 ID verifications over 18 months. And we gave the challenge, can you do 12 in one month? Right. So it's really 18x uh, improvement. We got to uh, four members from other teams, gave them that challenge. Now they had more people to think about. Otherwise, the same thought process would have gone. Right? It takes me one and a half months to do a particular ID verification. 
Now I have to do it in a matter of days, right? But all of them were able to come together, put together, improve how they worked, and we've actually released it even one week before. We gave them uh, five weeks. They released within one month what they it had taken them 18 months. So those dynamic teams are ab able to come together with new solutions and better ways of working because they know that four guys are coming into the team who have no context and now how do I make them fast and uh, really able to deliver and they were able to change how they develop things and uh, so dynamic teams are really really working out well with us and we've been able to sell it to the people also that it's going to be beneficial to them it's not just the company profit alone but you can grow and now after one month we've asked those people to go into a different team and they're still okay with that so I think we are very happy with that experiment that we did in the beginning of 2024. Uh, I think I'm an old man. Um, <laughs> dynamic teams are becoming a reality, but uh, I don't think we are able to understand that too well. We still take our time. Everybody, the teams are very stable. Most of the people, the number of 70 is actually too big for us. We were a lot smaller and we were a lot happier. Um, uh, it, uh, we did try during COVID times, we had a bit of a problem recruiting and we did try to put some teams together for some deliveries and I don't think we did it very well. And particularly when people are dispersed in different places and we don't have, so we, we our strength is in getting them together and understand and immerse them fully in something and then build. Uh, that's how we have done all along. So I'm still not clear if we can manage uh, dynamic teams as dynamically as these guys are doing, but it's becoming a reality because of the uh, churn that has started and it is because of the expectation and it's just becoming too difficult. We still do the conservative way. That is why work from home is a big danger for us. It just didn't work at all. So. We went back to full working from office and getting people to understand and get to know each other and getting them back to the old style. So still we are there, but the challenges we introduce them through new technologies, new products that we deliver and things like that. But we are not in that kind of competitive space like where you have, you know, you know, the kind of payment systems that you are in and all that. Maybe that will force us to do something like that. What forced us to do that was lack of resources. So I don't think we were happy with that. And the moment we could go back to the old method, we went back. So that's what my experience is. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess a lot to do with the situations. But uh, one uh, thing that I wanted uh, to say is uh, we have seen uh, in one organization where uh, First of all, they prefer stability in the sense that people should know each other. I mean, I think uh, the problem that uh, Gopal pointed out is very clearly there. P if people don't know each other, they don't work very well with each other, and it takes as much longer to uh, produce. So for that purpose, you need them to be a little stable. They can't be very, very dynamic, right? So they should at least be able to work well with each other. But uh, so this organization, they uh, handle demands of uh, uh, resources requirement by posting it on a dashboard, saying this project requires this skill for, you know, and if anybody has spare capacity, do you want to participate in that? And their uh, rewards and uh, recognition system as well as their performance management system all caters to that. 
So a person who's working in project X can actually go and contribute to project Y dynamically uh, while his stable project is X. And that way they are able to deliver all the projects X, Y, and Z uh, with the help of people who have the knowledge in the organization by making the whole thing very transparent. They actually have dashboards, uh, TV dashboards, which gives the project status of each project uh, re requirement and for how long and what skill and all that stuff. Maybe that's perhaps going to be a hybrid kind of a model that will work going forward. So this is interesting. Um, while the market is changing or the demands are changing, the pressures are increasing and all that, uh, using dynamic teams or even using stable teams and so on, how important is having an underlying fabric of discipline, whatever that discipline is? whether it is the engineering discipline or the cultural discipline, because particularly with a lot of professionals being comfortable with being gig workers. Many of them don't want you know, full-time jobs or a permanent employment. They say, okay, I will come and do something, and then I will go and then do something else for some time after I get some money. So what do you think uh, is a solution for this? And how do you bring in discipline and not be like Bangalore traffic? I have decided I will retire when that has to be done. <laughs> It is, uh, it is becoming like that. It is also that expectations, like I said, that the, the younger uh, engineers that we recruit, their expectations, I mean, not all of them, but typically what we meet, many, many times we don't, even the person is very capable, we just don't think that they will fit into the culture that, that of you know, stability. They just want to do many things, and those kind of people, it's very difficult to manage. But it is becoming a reality. I don't think we can sit back and say, no, no, we don't. We will only do this culture and all that. It won't work. So by that time, we should find someone to run the company and retire. That's what I think I do. Uh, yeah, I think discipline is, uh, yeah, it, it, it is there. Different, different generations. I would also consider myself in the next um, uh, generation. Um, and I think IT people, we are the most privileged. Right, like where I was sitting at home, peacefully working during COVID, while the uh, policemen have to be on the road, right? Doctors have to be in the hospital, etc. Right, but I think we are most privileged and the most spoiled that we ask for the most uh, flexibility. Um, yeah, for us also, I think the gig workers, etc., doesn't work. We did have a few of them, but they are never connected to the mission of the company. Right. It's more very, very uh, transactional. So those things, we've sort of moved away from that. Right? Why we have dynamic teams, but they still should be sort of passionate about the work that they are doing, what impact that they are having. And coming to yeah, discipline, maybe I'll generate, uh, uh, talk about one recent uh, anecdote. I went to one um, course, and a lot of discipline was there. We had to get up at a certain time in the morning at 4.30 a.m. and everything till 9 p.m. it goes. And uh, some people were saying that we've come here for relaxation and there's so much discipline. It seems to be a contradictory thing. Right? Then the teacher said that uh, actually that is freedom. Right? Uh, restraints and constraints is actually freedom. And it seemed very, very uh, um, not intuitive until he sort of explained it, saying that if you didn't have some discipline on the roads, right, if you didn't have that you have to go on the left and there's a stoplight, it'll be chaos at the worst case, or it'll be like a suboptimal thing, right? Each one does their own thing, it sort of doesn't uh, work, and 
and I use that example after I came back with the team also. Because when we start with some of these agility transformations, they see that their freedom is going away, right? Some of the uh, thing. And we also tell them that you should ask the freedom for the right thing. And uh, we tend to ask freedom for the wrong thing, right? Like ask freedom for I want to launch this product. There is this possibility to make this impact rather than have a particular freedom in how I name something or maybe I will not write up a detailed business plan. I'm very, very convinced that this is going to be a market leader, not putting up the thing. So we also tell them that choose what freedom you want and choose a better freedom that you want. We, we can give you resources. We can give you um, anything that you want to be successful. But certain things have to be done, right? If a business plan has to be reviewed by a team, it has to be done. Although there is some sort of resistance, but when we convince them about these things, I think we are able to make some change even with the difference in generations. And uh, I think uh, the discipline, some of it is required, right? I don't think any organization will be able to survive with everybody running in different directions. So that's uh, not a possibility. But uh, gig work is out there. I mean, I think it's not going to stop. The new generation is kind of completely... Uh, of the opinion that they should do what they should do. So I think uh, for organizations to bring in outcome, what outcome they are expecting out of uh, an individual or a team. And mostly I think one has to shift to team rather than individual because most of the development work or the product development or services we provide is through teams. We are looking at these teams to be able to deliver an outcome and just focus on that. Now whether they do it by sitting two hours in the office, four hours at home, they do it by working two days in a week or ten, or you know, working all 24 by 7. Just doesn't matter. I think we have to shift from uh, all other asks to giving them the freedom to do it the way they do it. So how they do it is theirs, but what they have to do should be, I think, the focus. Yeah, it's nice. Since the theme of today is about enterprise agility, when you're bringing in some of these uh, changes, so to say, or when you want to do that, what are some areas where you face the new Newton's three laws or additional laws of pushbacks or you know, friction, and you know, how do you generally handle them? Um, some of the uh, things that I think Shivguru has also consulted with us, so he knows what are the things that happens with uh, some of our teams, right? Younger generation, as we said, like they like a lot of freedom and all of this is seen that someone wants to monitor you and that's not the purpose we are trying to enable them. Uh, so connecting to them, I think, um, helps. There are a lot of biases also that like in general, I think we are a little bit more on short term uh, wins versus long term, right? Like, um, so how do we convince them that time bias is there? And uh, we are a, now a confident bunch also, right? Like, why should I convince anyone else that this is a great product, right? But there is a concept called bounded rationality. There's only so much that uh, we can think and after some time our mind gets fried and we stop thinking, right? So those are some um, sort of uh, challenges that we face. And um, to overcome that, I think we are trying to push for a little bit more of a written culture, right? Like we picked up from Amazon's uh, Working Backwards book, that was another great book, and they write a six-pager about any proposal that they do. We are trying to in sort of instill that, right? Why do I want to do that? How will I, what will be the press release, uh, etc.? 
So uh, all of these are also changes that we are doing, but the questions that we were got is, right, I really want to release this fast, you're making me write all of this, this is sort of uh, taking time, right? Uh, we have to, yeah, spend time, convince them, slowly change it, find some people who will uh, adopt that one, and then once they see success, then other folks are also sort of uh, thing. Um, maybe some of the other ch challenges that I see, right, maybe if I can give another example is maybe the uh, so, uh, lack of sort of maximizing our outcomes, right? I don't know uh, if that is our, maybe our 70 year baggage after independence, I think uh, the person wa was saying that, right, like it was okay, right, like we got a CSAT survey of uh, uh, average, it used to be okay earlier, right, so we might see some of those pockets of okay, this is okay, right, like uh, we are like this, this is okay, so how do we change that to thing, and I think I would again go back to last maybe a few, uh, few years, I think our confidence, like I used to see these export quality bunions, right? Like that used to uh, trouble me, right? Like I'm used to, I'm supposed to wear a sub-quality bunion and uh, <laughs> that is changing, right? I, uh, I hope we say, right, made in India and this is Indian quality. Another thing that used to trouble me was a German car made in, uh, engineered in Germany, price for India, right? That was a slap on our face. Right, that we you can't afford a thing, but we are making a cheaper version uh, for you, and maybe that little bit of those challenges we see when we try to uh, say we need to be more agile, we need to release faster at all. Maybe that baggage, but slowly that baggage is going away thanks to a lot of uh, our sort of government taking like path-breaking steps to make us all uh, confident and be able to talk about. Uh, these things, we are the number one in the whole world in fintech. We do more transactions than US, Europe, uh, China, all put together and factor of uh, thing more than all of them, right? We can't say these things in so many aspects, but I think it's been a sort of a revolution that has started and happening. And yeah, so, but we still see those pockets thing. And maybe one more challenge that I see is, I'll bring an aspect of the uh, Karma Yoga. The teacher was saying that if at all all Indians for 10 days, all of us did karma yoga, we would be the number one country in the world. Right? 1.4 billion people just for 10 days doing what needs to be done and doing it really, really well without anything what is in it for me. Right? What has to be done has to be done and what has to be done has to be done in the best way to maximize outcomes. We would be world beaters. But realizing that and doing that, but uh, instead of that, if you go into what do I uh, get in this particular thing, right? Focusing on the thing, we actually lose out in the end. But if, if some of these aspects, and that's another thing I wanted to thank the authors, sort of bringing in sort of some of the Indian characters into the book, some of the, that ethos into that. And we have so much to learn from what we have. And um, I think bringing all of that thing, even whatever shortcomings or um, re the resistance to some of this thing can be, I think, uh, overcome. Uh, at a very simplistic level, I think the pushbacks that I normally notice are most of the times, you know, the environment is very informal. So there's a fine line between informalism and indiscipline, right? So that's something that is very difficult to make uh, people understand. So you, you say, you can be flexible, then they don't know how to use that flexibility. They generally go into misuse of that flexibility. 
like that another thing that i find is that like you said that whole environment if somebody is coming to office and he sees only negative things all the way coming into office and we suddenly want him to be professional he doesn't see much professionalism from the time he left his home and coming to office and suddenly when he comes here he has to behave differently those are things that take time saying that you shouldn't you should start the moment to be professional those kind of things it 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 can be done but there'll be initially some resistance so that's a, actually the biggest resistance we have is stopping people from calling you sir so, so I, i i think the resistance that we see in organizations that we work in is uh, um, to let go of what they are holding so if they believe that this team belongs to me and i have to allow my people to work with other teams then it's tough guarding and that is very difficult so letting go is very difficult uh micro managers letting go the micro management and allowing people to start taking decisions or become coaches instead of uh, micro managers uh, i think that is difficult to uh, let go uh, cross functional especially like finance working with marketing working with uh, the delivery organization again extremely difficult they have worked in silos for so long that they love to guard their silos and they believe that is how they will grow so i think these are some of the challenges that we see when we look at uh, what is difficult to let go see as individuals this is a kind of a professional personal kind of a question there is so much of context switching that you do or that you need to do whether it is with customers with people with technology everything else so like your karma yoga thing how do you stay focused what are some practices that have worked for you i'll just answer before him vishu gave a practice i think i follow that <laughs> yeah i think mindfulness is a great great thing and uh, that also i think is going to is coming from back from stanford uh, tibetan they've called it sq now spiritual quotient and then it might come to india as spiritual quotient after some time i think that's a great thing another thing is to maybe i try to not lose touch with ground reality right like and ask a lot of questions and to understand and another thing i read in that book is the people asked jeff bezos many people are coming to this six page review but you ask much more uh, questions and you are able to find many more problems in the proposal than others right who are more, much more grounded then i think his answer was i start with the presumption that this could be wrong and now i ask questions to prove to myself that it is right or wrong and he starts with that thing right so if i think that if we do i think that helps uh, understand ex- actually what they are doing and one more thing that we do is be, uh, accept that context which is going to happen embrace it it's one more challenge like uh, we tell the team to embrace challenges so leaders also have to embrace challenges that context which is happening and when some leaders tell me that uh, oh this is very difficult that right so many issues this customer issues there i have to release this this complaints issues there i give our example of a great prime minister narendra modi ji that uh, imagine like leading a country and so many things are going on and he seems to be knowing a lot of things right and if he can do that at a country level we should be able to do um, at a team team level yeah so um, have some nice road models who are doing much tougher job than what we have and ask ask a lot of questions and go towards a right first culture 
when things are very verbal we cannot be in every conversation and then the silos happen and then there are experts who knows that silo who have to take 30 minutes to explain to us the context then we go another person has to explain to 30 minutes by the time the meeting is over so i think the right first thing helps us get all the information asynchronously um and we can read faster than listening so all of that i think um, helps since is it personal i think uh, not being an intellectual helps right so when i am talking to you i don't remember what happened before this session so it's easy to do that i mean basically i think we all crowd our mind with a lot of thoughts which if you don't have the capacity it helps so it's simple that way thanks just one trivia uh, ramkumar when we came up with this model we called the iceberg model where we said most of the things that you deal with are related to iq I mean, all the skills that can be taught, trained, and all that. When it comes to people, we say there is an emotional intelligence or the EQ that is there. Below that, what is more intrinsic, we called it SQ first. But then there are some feedback: Oh, SQ, you know, it is not secular, it is not woke. I mean, well, I mean, all, all kinds of things. So we called it MQ. Okay, the mindfulness quotient. Yeah, it is. No, no. So we call it mindfulness quotient. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. If you would like to watch a video of this conversation. as well as more than 100 other videos from pm power subscribe to pm hyphen power consulting on youtube see you there